So last week we started a brand new series called Anxious for Nothing, which uh, is based on the passage that we're going to be reading today. And some of you, whether you're joining us today or whether you joined us last time, you're like, Stephen, I'm so glad that you're talking about anxiety. I'm so thankful that you're talking about how God meets us in our time of need and in our time of difficulty. And so you're like fully engaged and you can't wait to see how God continues to meet you where you are at. However, some of you are sitting here saying, Man, if I knew you were gonna speak about anxiety, I would have stayed in bed this morning because I'm all good. Life is amazing and therefore I don't know if I need what you're putting out today. Look, I don't wanna create any artificial anxiety in any of your lives. But I do wanna say this. We live in Joburg, which means what we consider a baseline of normal anxiety, people are going into a hospital for that in Cape Town and PE and all of these other places, all right? So we're in Joburg. N- number two, I can guarantee you that it's about when, not if. We are gonna have moments and seasons in our lives that are difficult to navigate and we started talking about that last week and how we respond to that is not always going to be with bucket loads of confidence and so I I just wonder if for any of you as I go through some potential symptoms if any of you can identify with any of these maybe your passion or passions are fading in life Maybe you don't feel the highs and feel the lows of life anymore, just kind of this middle gear. Little things are making you overly emotional. And I don't just mean tears, but overly angry, overly depressed. Everybody drains you. You're becoming cynical. Nothing truly satisfies you. You can't think straight. Your productivity is dropping. You are self-medicating. You don't laugh anymore. And sleep and time off no longer refill you. Now, if you're saying yes to any one of these, it doesn't mean that you need to go see a psychologist this week. However, if more than one of these are becoming a reality of our lives, it may be just your body's way of saying, Pay attention, pay attention because we know how to distance ourselves from some of the anxieties of life. And so for those of you who have been in church and you're well-versed in Christian knees, you will know quite well the verses we're going to read today. And I'm gonna admit something to you for that reason, I didn't want to preach these verses because these are verses that are well preached on here at Riverside, well quoted here at Riverside. They occupy much of your sort of Christian social media world and memes and verses that you're familiar with in the world of Christian knees. And so I was like, God, you know, we've done this verse. How many times? I wanna admit something to you and I don't want this ever to put you off coming to me and just having a chat to me about faith and with your questions because I'm growing, I'm maturing. But the way I I kind of used to think at times was, you know, someone would come up to me, they would ask me a question about faith and I'd be like, listen, we preached on that in April, 2012. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And then the Lord would have to take me by the ear And have to say, Stephen, how many times have you had to deal with a verse? How many times have you had to wrestle with a verse before you trust me? Before those words are in your heart? How many times have you had to hear something and even preach something until you're living it out? You know, the scriptures aren't just there for our novelty. To go, oh wow, that's incredible, a new insight. The scriptures are there for our meditation, that we internalize them 
and the ultimate evidence of God's Word being internalized in us is not that we can go, oh, I've heard that sermon before, but rather that we start living them out. And so if the verses we're gonna look at today sound very familiar to you, please don't switch off. Rather, let's come in with this willingness to say, God, I want your words to wash over me again. And I want to hear these words afresh. And, and the verses are gonna push us in this direction. I want to put them even more into practice in my life. So having said that, we're gonna to go to a very familiar passage, especially those of us who've grown up in church. We're gonna walk through it step by step. That's Philippians chapter four, verses four to nine. If you have your own Bibles, be it digital or paper, it's always lacquer to kind of follow on our own as well. So we can highlight, underline, we can read ahead, read behind, we can go home, go back to it. Now remember we're talking about anxiety and what this passage says is kind of broken up into two big sections. The first section, which we're gonna focus on in a second, is about how we pray. And the second section is going to be about how we think, how we pray and how we think. So let's read the first part, the part about prayer together. Philippians 4 verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the first word here is rejoice. In fact, it comes up in that same format twice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, I think this says a number of things about who our God is. And if God is opening up this passage with this word about joy, it's not really a commonly used word in the rest of our lives, but it's the form of joy in the form of a command, rejoice. That means the God that we love is the kind of God who wants ever increasing joy in your life. Unfortunately, Maybe some of you have grown up in church or some of you who have known Christians, unfortunately, many of us have seen a, maybe an obedience and a holy witness to Christ, but a joyless life. And I kind of want to apologize for the times that I've lived that kind of portrayal of what the life in Christ should look like. Whereas what we're seeing here is one of the things God wants for you and to be evident in and through you is a life of joy. This is something amazing about who our God is. But don't you find it strange that it comes to us in the form of a command? And some of you are like, oh, Steve, if that's all it took, if only I knew that all I had to do was have God say, rejoice, and then I could find great joy in life. Right now, right? Rejoice, go ahead and rejoice. Yeah? Is, is it that easy? Yes, we can whoop, whoop. Thank you, Anik. But of course, it's not always that easy. And so I wanna talk about that for a second. On one hand, I wanna put this out there that I do believe that living a life of joy is a goal that every single one of us can move towards. So yes, maybe I can't flip the switch this morning, although we do trust God to do great things in our hearts. But if I know that one of the things God wants for me, I can move towards joy. The second thing I want to say is, if this comes to us in the form of a command, then to some degree, joy is a choice. Now I know that some of you are responding saying, listen, Stephen, if I could choose joy, I would. Just this last week, I was reading some stats from the United States. I don't, don't think we have these kind of stats. But clinical anxiety since COVID has tripled in the United States. 
and depression has quadrupled. And if any of you have been in that space, or you know people who are in that space, just commanding them to make the choice of joy is an absolute waste of time, right? However, while I know that not every single one of us can just switch the choice of joy on in our lives, I do believe there are choices that can be made regardless of where you are at that can set you on a path towards greater joy. And today, we're gonna be talking about some of the choices that regardless of where you're at, you can make this morning. But this idea of rejoicing, this this idea of this being a command, really only makes sense when we look at this context where Paul says, rejoice, in the Lord. You see, what tends to steal our joy? We've got trouble in our relationships. We're hard pressed on every side. We're persecuted, right? Just to look at last week. We've got tough situations. It's not easy living life at the moment. Maybe you're just depressed as you look at your future and you don't know what that holds. And so our circumstances and our relationships and our bank balances can steal our joy. And so that is why Paul doesn't say, take joy in the world. Take joy in your bank balance. Take joy in your circumstances. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with finding joy in God's world. But there are gonna be many times when it's gonna be hard to find joy there. And so that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, for those of you who've been in church for a while, you'll know that song that we used to sing. Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. Hola. And it can just become this spiritual Christian needs white noise in our ears. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at me, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. But what if it's more than that? What if, and we're gonna talk about a number of what ifs this morning. What if true life, true joy and true peace is truly available to us at every moment? It says you rejoice in the Lord always, always. I, and just in case you missed it, I'm gonna say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, but Stephen, you've got no idea what I'm going through and no, I don't. So I wanna tell you a story about a guy by the name of Joseph Merrick, grew up in the UK in the 1800s you may know him by his unfortunate nickname, the Elephant Man. One of the most deformed humans in kind of modern history. His head was the size of the average man's waist. His 10 fingers were just these tiny little useless stubs. His right arm was twice the size of his left arm. He had all this excess skin and just made Uh, he was completely unintelligible for that reason. His two legs were so weak that they couldn't hold up his body. And so he kind of was brought into this place where he was part of the freak show where literally people would come and pay money to look at the elephant man and freak out in his face. Doctor came along and just was given a bit of compassion for him and brought him into a hospital. Apparently the first time a nurse came in with a tray of food, she saw Joseph Merrick for the first time and just screamed and dropped the food and ran out. I imagine, I know you don't always like what you see in the mirror in the mornings, right? So what this doctor did was, how can we truly start to show him love? How can we truly start to show him compassion 
kind of trained the staff there so that they could expect, you know, just what their responses might be and maybe respond in a different way. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that he was well-read and highly intelligent, great vocabulary, a great passion for the outdoors and the arts. They would sneak him into these um, top rooms in the opera house so he could enjoy the opera. They would take him out into nature and he would just watch the butterflies and enjoy being outside. And apparently on more than one occasion, he would say, I am happy every hour of the day. Now, as well as being an intelligent man and a reader, he loved the Lord. And he loved scripture. And this is something they could share together. And when Joseph Merrick died at 27 years old, this is what the doctor had to say about him. His troubles had ennobled him. He showed himself to be a gentle, affectionate, and lovable creature without a grievance and without an unkind word for anyone. I have never heard him complain. Now, I don't tell you the story to kind of say, well, you think you've got problems. Well, yes, someone with bigger problems than you, shame on you. Rather, I tell you this story to say if Joseph Merrick could find joy and happiness in the Lord in every moment, surely we can too. What if we can too? This verse continues to say, let your gentleness, and isn't that what we saw here in Joseph Merrick, let your gentleness be evidence to all. Now, in the New Testament Greek, this word gentle is very difficult to translate. And so a number of you may have different translations that are trying to come to terms with what this word means. So we've just read gentleness. The American Standard Version talks about forbearance. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says graciousness. The English Standard Version says reasonableness. The Good News Bible says gentle attitude. And just by the way, Bible reading lessons, when you see a whole lot of translations with a variety of translations like this, the best thing is not to fight them against each other, but to realize there's a concept that they're trying to put into a single English word. So the best thing to do here is to put it all together. So what Paul is saying here is if we truly are able to find joy in the Lord always, that is somehow going to work itself out. People are going to see it and notice our reasonableness, our graciousness, our patience, and our joy as we are truly transformed from the inside out. The next few words say this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I know that one of the emotional responses that many of us have to challenges in life is to feel alone. Something along the lines of, no one can feel what I'm feeling right now. No one knows what I'm experiencing right now. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's simply our emotional perception. However, not only do we feel alone and we struggle to reach out to people, but even with regards to God, somehow pain and anxiety and suffering causes something in us to feel that God is not near to us. But in Scripture, I truly believe that these four words, the Lord is near, is one of the most amazing truths to us. Once again, what if 
in your time of loneliness, in your time of grief, in your time of anxiety, in your time of living through your troubles, what if the Lord's grace and life is available to you like an infinite well of love? And what if we learnt, despite our feelings of being alone, what if we learnt to move towards God in these moments and find that he is in fact not far from any one of us. So, continuing on from here, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These first few words, do not be anxious about anything. And some of you once again are saying, Stephen, oh wow, I'm so thankful for that. Just don't be anxious. Have you ever been in a, a situation where the, the, the heat has just been turned up and you're having an argument with your wife or your spouse or, or your kids or a colleague and someone has the incredible wisdom to turn to you and say, just relax. <laughs> Imagine someone tried that with Ibn Etzebeth yesterday in the rugby. <laughs> and just in case you haven't figured this out, that's a bad idea. Never say just relax to anybody who's worked up. So what's going on here? In our anxieties, how can Paul just say, don't be anxious, be anxious for nothing? Well, here's, I believe, here's one of the many choices that we can make. Because it says so clearly, it doesn't just simply say, don't be anxious. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Greek lesson number two for today, the, the word here for every in Greek is, is very complicated. And, and again, authors are just pulling their hair out, trying to find a word that makes sense for us. You know that this word here means every situation. No buts. Small situations, medium-sized situations. It's not like God saying, Okay, guys, you just handle the small stuff on your own and just bring the big stuff to me. Our big problems, all sorts of our issues in every situation, here is how we're going to choose to respond. We're going to come to God by prayer and petition, meaning we're going to be engaging with God in our relationship, we're gonna be making requests to him. We're going to come with thanksgiving, more about that in another sermon in this episode or in the series. We're gonna present our requests to God. You know, Stephen, I, I tried that once and it didn't work. You know, this verse isn't a mantra that we just claim and trust that God's gonna deposit peace into our anxieties. I think there's a reason why Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. In other words, for us to increasingly grow in the joy and the peace of God, what we're gonna do on repeat is come to God in every situation, in prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. Once again, it's just become this thing in the church world that prayer is kind of reciting all these Christianese sounding words. And Jesus says, if that's what you think prayer is, stop it. What if our prayer life can be so filled with in every situation? God, I'm going to a meeting today and I think I've got it, but I'm just gonna present my requests to you. Or I'm going into a meeting today and I don't think I've got it. And here's what I think I need. 
Okay, we finished the meeting. Lord, here's how it went down. And I'm not too happy about it. Don't know what it means. Here's my request to you. Imagine we went through life doing that. We've got some wonderful people in our church who serve in the world of counseling and psychology, and I don't want to give away all their dirty secrets, all, you know, but you know, there's so much of therapy. It's not all this is, but so much of therapy is getting you to talk out what is going on in your heart and your mind. Because something happens when you're wrestling with something and you've got these conflicting emotions inside of you. And when someone asks the kinds of questions that are encouraging you to talk out what is in you, you've got to like stop and think. Okay, um, yeah, I've got to put words and language to emotions and events. And even that process starts to untangle things inside of you, right? That is why even if you don't go to a psychologist or a counselor, if any of you take a friend out for a cup of coffee or you just get to a point where you're able to share some of the stuff that's going on inside of you with a spouse or a friend, how do we often describe the feeling? Ah, just, just got a load off my chest. What if we get to do that with God in every situation? What if we get to talk out our uncertainties and our anxieties and our pains with God in every situation? And I've got no doubt that if we learn to do that and if we choose to do that, we will start to experience the God part of these verses which say, and the peace of God, not the world's peace, the peace of our infinite God will guard your hearts and your minds. Isn't that what we need in Christ Jesus? I wanna encourage you to make some choices about this. With regards to what our daily life of prayer looks like, 1 Peter 5 verses seven says, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. He is our burden carrier and he is our anxiety carrier. So I call this sermon Pray positive and think positive. Not because in prayer we're going out with these positivistic prayers, but rather we're choosing in prayer to positively move towards the joy and the peace of God. That's the pray part. Let's talk about the think part. Verse eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace and the God of peace will be with you. Now for the longest time, I kind of knew verses four to seven and heard many you know, sermons and read many devotions on verses four to seven. And then there was like a kind of a different box for verse eight and nine. And I heard many sermons on verse eight and nine and read many devotions on verse eight and nine. And a number of years ago, as I was working through the book of Philippians, something just stood out to me. What if verse eight and nine are part of verse four to seven? What if verse eight and nine are part of rejoice in the Lord always and do not be anxious about anything? And I'm sure you know what the answer to that question is. The answer is, of course, it's all part of the story. Now listen, imagine we were to audit 
our thought life over the last month. And just from the outset, I'm not doing this to shame us, just a simple evaluation. Imagine you could see every bullet point, every thought that you have had over the first month and we put them into these categories. So we had a column for thoughts that were true. And I don't simply mean kind of true as in terms of, you know, scripture, which of course is true. But just when you think about what's going on at work, you had a true evaluation of that. When you think about yourself and you're like, ah, oh, Stephen, you're an idiot. And you're, you know, that kind of self-talk, self-perception, thoughts that were true. And then you had a column for thoughts that were false for whatever reason. Then you had a column for thoughts that were noble and another column for thoughts that were dishonorable. Another column, so it's a long spreadsheet. You've got a column for thoughts that were right and about righteousness and thoughts that were just wrong, thoughts that were pure, thoughts that were impure, thoughts that were lovely. I just love the fact that God wants us to meditate on the beauty of His world, thoughts that were lovely and thoughts that were unlovely, unpleasant, unsightly, thoughts that were admirable and those that were unworthy. And just in case we've got some leftover thoughts flying around there, Paul says, yeah, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let's put the rest of the columns in there, the good ones and the bad ones in the final column. So when it comes to those two sides of each of those columns, I wonder for us, which side of those columns is longer? I would bet a year's salary that everyone in this room, the false outweighs the true. The unlovely outweighs the lovely. And so on and so forth. Now I said last week, and I wanna say this again, that for some of us, our struggle with regards to anxiety and our mental health is not simply a Philippians 4 issue. And for some of us, it is a physiological issue. And for some of us, we do need to be able to say, I am willing to go for professional help to move me further along this journey. But even if that is you, we don't just get to say, well, I've got a therapist I don't need Philippians for. Every single one of us at some level can move from slipstreaming, meaning I let the world determine what I think. And I am going to be in neutral gear and just let my thoughts respond automatically to the situations of this world. Or we can choose what we're going to think about. Just like choosing what we put in our mouths, we can choose what we put in our minds. And here's where kind of the, this, the secular positive thinking world has a point. I don't think they've got the whole story, but the point is what we think about can dramatically change how we live in this world and how we experience things like joy and peace and the presence of the Lord. I believe that Philippians 4 verses 8 is the biblical way to think about positive thinking. Now, I'm not saying, which is kind of where the secular world would kind of go, is that we almost deny our negative thoughts. We almost deny there's a negative world out there, which I wanna show you in a second is very dangerous and actually works against your joy. Rather, what these scriptures are saying put together is let's acknowledge our challenges. Let's acknowledge our pain. Let's acknowledge our anxieties. Let's acknowledge where I don't have the answers. But instead of dwelling on those things, I'm going to, in every situation, cast my burdens onto Jesus for he cares for me. And then I'm gonna choose to think about things that are lovely and true and good and noble and trustworthy and excellent. 
even how we think about bad things, the challenges of life can change us. You know, our modern Western, largely atheistic worldview is pretty much the only worldview ever across all cultures and across all of history that fundamentally believes that we ought to live a suffering-free life. Every other worldview, be it non-Christian, different religions, some sort of tribal religions, just some sort of tribal philosophy or primitive philosophy, every single other worldview has had a way of thinking through evil and the difficulties of life in a way that ennobles us and strengthens us rather than the opposites. C.S. Lewis, he, he says, he puts it this way as only C.S. Lewis could. He says, imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it is a hotel. The other half think it is a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. But those who thought it was a prison might decide that it was really surprisingly comfortable. So then what seems the ugly doctrine is one that comforts and strengthens you in the end. The people who try to hold to an optimistic of this world would become pessimists. The people who hold a pretty stern view of it become optimistic. Are you seeing what he's saying? If we believe with, and I want to affirm this, if we believe an atheistic vision of our world that we should be completely free of suffering, now that's again half a truth. When we engage the world as it is, we are gonna respond with defeat and anxiety. Why? Because something in me believes the world should not be this way. Now the Christian hope is yes, let's freely acknowledge that there is something wrong with that world, with this world. But we can't pretend it's not there. Yes, we fundamentally believe that we have an ultimate hope in Christ and He will bring a new world without death and pain and suffering. But this side of Christ's return, we live in a painful world. And how we respond to that has a great role to play with regards to your joy and your peace. Sorry to say. I want to illustrate in another way. This time from someone, as far as I know, she's not a Christian. Her name's Kelly McGonigal. She's a health psychologist, a researcher, and author. She uh, just did this great TED talk called How to Make Stress Your Friend. Just go and find it. It's an amazing talk. And as a health psychologist, she, she said that she used to spend so much of her time with her clients telling them, Stress is bad, stress is bad, stress is bad. Stress is going to kill you. Stress is gonna mess up your mental health. Stress is gonna give you cardiovascular diseases and so on and so forth. Stress is the biggest killer in the United States. And then she started coming across some research that really got her to reframe what she was saying to her clients. And she was referencing a study that tracked 30,000 adults in the United States for eight years and they started off at the beginning of the study asking these adults two questions. Question one was, how much stress do you think you're living with at the moment? And of course, some were like, not a hang of a whole lot. Some were saying, well, maybe a medium level of stress. And some were saying, no, listen, I'm not coping. I've got a lot of stress in my life. The second question was this, do you believe stress is a good thing or a bad thing? Then they went and studied these 30,000 adults. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that those who were dealing with high levels of stress were 43% more likely to die. Only if they believed stress was bad for them. Do you know that those who believed that stress was potentially good for them, and we'll explain that in a second, even those who had high levels of stress exhibited stress levels that were lower than even those who had low levels of stress in, them, in their lives. Stephen, what's going on here? 
Now, obviously, it's way more complex than this, but she was kind of saying to some of these people, listen, all those who are doing this study, what if when you get into a stressful situation and your palms get sweaty? I feel like Eminem when I say that, but uh, (laughs) your palms get sweaty, your, your breathing starts going up, your mind starts racing, you feel your temperature go up. And so many of us interpret that to mean, oh, well, clearly I'm not responding well to the situation. What if your mind racing is just your mind kicking up a gear so that you can respond more quickly to the situation you're about to face? What if your increased heart rate and your increased level of breathing is your body's way of saying, give me more oxygen. Let me be ready and prepared for the coming situation. Do you know that those who had those simple tools in their mind for their stressful situations not only experienced those stressful situations with way less anxiety, higher levels of performance and confidence, but their bodies literally started to catch up too. Whereas for many people, stress literally causes your cardiovascular vessels to thicken and thereby diminish the diameter where your blood is going through, which is why you run the risk of increased heart disease. These people who just started thinking differently about stress Their blood vessels used to stay the same, freely allowing blood to pass through their bodies. Now, of course, when it comes to dosage, there are some levels of stress that are gonna cripple anybody. Jesus himself, Garden of Gethsemane, sweating beads of blood. Having said that, the kinds of stress levels that many of us are dealing with, even how we think about that can change. Maybe some theology for that. Genesis 50 verses 20, what people intended for evil, God intended for good. God works in all things, all situations for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Romans 8 verses 28, what if that's true? What if even how we saw our stress and our pain differently through these lenses? Isn't that what C.S. Lewis was saying? Isn't that what Joseph Merrick experienced? Which leads us to the next point, which is so important. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul evidently having lived amongst these people so that they could see how he responds to difficulties and challenge and anxieties, how he turned to the Lord. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of God, sorry, the God of peace will be with you. Guys, when we are in tough situations, it is such a wonderful, precious thing to pray for each other and to trust that the God of peace can deposit something in our hearts. But at the end of the day, For us to say, Stephen, that is a great insightful message and then get on with life without changing anything, we are cutting our legs off at the knees. The only way we're going to consistently grow in joy is when we do this stuff. We're gonna put it into practice. I hate and I love that word practice. Because practice can be boring. You know, Craig spoke about a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, when your child starts learning how to walk and they make a two steps and fall over, no parent responds by, what a pathetic little child. You're never gonna walk. No, we go like, well done. And, and we just find ways of encouraging them two steps to three steps to five steps to 10 steps until they eventually walk out of our homes. <laughs> what if we saw our discipleship in the same way? 
I am going to practice this. Going back to sports like rugby and whatever sports you love, no one simply just goes onto the field with good intentions. They spend hours practicing. Under lower levels of pressure and sometimes under higher levels of pressure, but they practice and practice and practice so that when the time comes, when it counts, something in them responds instinctively. So what if we did this? Man, I'm so grateful we come to God in our incredibly painful situations, but what if we didn't wait for our incredibly painful situations before we cast our anxieties onto God? What if we came to God with all of our situations? What if that became our default? What if that became just what our prayer life and our walk of faith looked like? I, this is where I trust God's word. That if we put these verses into practice, that God will move in with ever increasing levels of joy and peace. The God of peace. The peace of God that transcends understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So if we're gonna do this, we've got some decisions to make. And just to recall the decisions and the choices we are gonna make, number one, we're gonna prioritize and pursue joy in Christ. Once again, not as simple as just simply switching on a, a switch and being joyful, but we're gonna make decisions Every time I'm disappointed by this world, Lord, help me find joy in you. Every time I'm let down by somebody else or every time we're experiencing great joy in this world, Lord, I love my life right now, but help me find greater joy in you. We're gonna prioritize and pursue joy in Christ. Secondly, we're going to regularly, regularly cast our burdens onto Jesus all of our burdens, regularly, every single day. This is going to become a lifestyle for us. Then number three, once I've taken my so-called negative thoughts and cast them onto Jesus, I'm gonna fill my mind with goodness. Kind of, people say, I'll go to my happy place. I'd say that's biblical. It depends on what your happy place is but we're gonna choose to fill our minds with noble things, good things, beautiful things, admirable things, excellent things. And we're gonna shift that balance sheet of our minds. And then we're gonna practice these things. And so maybe overnight, we're not gonna be filled with this euphoric joy and this peace just that just allows us to go into every situation well. However, I do believe that God wants ever-increasing joy and ever-increasing peace for us. And so we're gonna practice this. I don't know where you're at, but I do wanna pray for us. And while half the journey is convincing us that this is the way we ought to be living out our discipleship with Christ, and yes, and I prayed this this morning, that God would do something in our hearts, even being so good as to give us just a bit of a foretaste of His joy, of His peace. Yes, that's what I want. Part of our prayer is not only gonna be, God, give us peace, give us your joy, but put me on a journey towards your joy and towards your peace. So let's pray, Father. You are not indifferent to our pain. You are not this God up in heaven who is watching us minions down here on earth suffering and you're kind of grading us on our response to pain. Rather, God, you came down and entered our broken world in full. And so as Craig and I so often quote here, Hebrews 4 verses 15, we have a high priest who has experienced all trials and tribulations as we have. We've got a high priest who truly empathizes with us. 
The Lord truly is near. Life and peace and joy and grace are not always on the other side of our painful situations, but are accessible to us in our painful situations. That is what your word says. But God, forgive us. This is where we choose to repent. Whether we feel alone or whether we feel ashamed, whether we feel weak, significant, our default response is to not always cast our burdens onto Jesus and in every situation with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, make our request known to you. We fight, we hide, we emote, we experience pain. Father God, just for many of us here this morning, we wanna choose to follow you differently because we trust your word on this. This is your perspective on pain. This is your perspective on anxiety. This is your perspective on how we are gonna grow in peace and joy. So God, today we choose joy, we choose peace. And therefore we choose this path. Father, we thank you that even it is your grace that enables us to journey this out, to walk with you. And that as we stumble and fall, as we always do, it is your grace that picks us up. It is your grace that restores us. It is your grace that doesn't shame us but gives us such kindness and encouragement. So God, for anyone right now who is feeling shame in having fallen, shame in having not been coming to you in our time of need, God, I pray that you'd overwhelm them with who you truly are in this situation, our kind, loving, gracious Father. Father, I do pray that as we start walking this way, that you would just graciously begin depositing joy in us, a greater peace in our hearts. And so God, for this and for all all these things, we trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Folks, I know that so many of us are dealing with